there was a lot of days where I didn't want to get out the door in the past couple months and it was just show up just try just see and don't skip the job just because you think it might go a certain way or you don't feel good just go and see and most of the time you get out the door and it goes better than you thought but if you don't do it at all like you have no chance of getting better you know it's a zero it's you just look at it with some kind of regret you know so for me it was just give yourself a chance just try just start and it's not always going to go your way but you don't know unless you show up that's des linden the great des linden and this is the ritual podcast the ritual podcast Can I read you guys something? I'm going to read you guys something. It goes like this. Some days it just flows and I feel like I'm born to do this. Other days it feels like I'm trudging through hell. Every day I make the choice to show up and see what I've got and to try and be better. My advice, keep showing up. Now, these are not my words. I wish they were my words. They are the words of today's guest, Des Linden. And I got to tell you, I could not agree more wholeheartedly. My name is Rich Roll. I am your host. Welcome. Welcome to the show where I dive deep, deep with the best and the brightest, the most inspiring thought leaders and high performers across all categories of health, well-being, social responsibility, popular culture. And in the case of today's program, world-class athletic performance. Now, as many of you guys no doubt know, a couple months ago, uh, Des Linden exploded on the scene. She captured the hearts and minds of millions of people all over the world when she became the first American female victor in the prestigious Boston Marathon in 33 years. The last time an American woman won this race was 1985. It was extraordinary. And she won in dramatic fashion on a day when the elements, Mother Nature, icy rains and 25-mile-an-hour headwinds, were truly the main antagonist. And today, the two-time Olympian uh, comes by the podcast to share her story, how she did it, what got her there, and what's next. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll 
and use code RICHROLL10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but Basically, you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem. A problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, 
go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Okay. So I happened to be on a flight to New York City during the Boston Marathon, so I couldn't watch it on TV. Uh, and generally, I don't get airplane Wi-Fi, but I had to on this particular flight so I could follow the race online on Twitter. And I was just wrapped by the whole thing. I was just so um, astounded at what Des was able to do on this extraordinary day. So I was delighted when her manager, Josh Cox, who is an amazing runner in his own right, a former top marathoner, a guy I've known for many, many years, who also happens to own the American record in the 50K, uh, when Josh got in touch with me while I was in New York City about getting Des on the show. So I was like, uh, yes, I would like to do that. And so here we are today. Uh, this is a conversation with both Des and Josh, who joins us for some great perspective as both an authority on running, uh, as well as Des's longtime manager. And it's a conversation about many things, what this victory means to her, to American women's marathoning and running in general. It's about the career that led to this point, the mindset that finally propelled her to victory, and what it means to just to show up, to keep showing up, and the applicability of this ethos, this theme, to not just running, but to everything in life. So this is me, Des Linden, and Josh Cox. Good. All right, Josh, Des, so nice to have you here. Thank you for uh, making the trip out to the hinterlands. <laughs> I appreciate it. I can't imagine what your life is like right now. It's just been an absolute whirlwind for you, right? It's that's, insane. That's the best way to put it, but it's all good stuff. So still a lot of momentum and adrenaline with it. Right. It's making it all work. <laughs> it, it must be helping with the typical sort of post-marathon blues that tend to happen, right? Like you must be riding this crazy wave of energy. Yeah, for sure. I think you take the time off afterwards and you start processing like, what do I want to do better? You know, if you don't get the outcome you want, you do all that. And I haven't even had time to think about no, the you're, race. You're, yeah, you're too busy like throwing baseballs out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm working on my throwing <laughs> no, arm. Like, and and uh, you know, hugging Taylor Swift right. and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, it's so cool to, <laughs> to, to see like mainstream culture really embrace like the accomplishment that, that you have, that you, that you made and, and, and really, um, shine a spotlight on not just marathon running, but like women's marathon running. It's super cool. Yeah, that's been probably the most surprising part, just seeing the places it's reached, but um, very rewarding because the women's side was highlighted this year. And, you know, John Hancock had this expectation for the American women to do something really big. And mm -hmm. they brought in the great group and um, like, it was good to get it done. <laughs> well, it was all about the women's race. Mm -hmm. There was almost no ink on the men's race at all. You had to really search for it. It was just all about the women, which was super cool. Yeah. So uh, can you walk me through it? Can we talk <laughs> about the race? Are you tired of talking about it? Let's talk about it. Cool. Well, um, I think there's so many kind of interesting entry points into, into that experience, but I think you know a good way to kind of, I think, launch into it is to talk about your buildup to the race, because from what I understand, it wasn't like the best sort of training cycle going into it, right? Like, were your expectations tempered as you lined up on the starting line? 
Yeah, I, probably more so than ever before. Um, and a lot, it w- a lot of it was the months prior to. So last fall, I decided to not do a fall marathon mm-hmm. and just um, almost step away from running for a little bit and kind of hit reset and remind myself why I'm doing this or if I want to do that. Um, and almost gave myself an out. Like, if you don't want to do this anymore, if you don't want to be competitive, it's okay. And mm-hmm. just try this for a while and see if you can um, – take a step back from the sport. And right, so you took like five months off after 17, right? Yeah, it was a cu- it was probably three three months off, and then it was like, <clears throat> do I feel like running today? Okay, great. Do I? And if I didn't, that's great too. Did you um, think, was there a possibility at that time that you thought you might retire? Not retire, but maybe lower my expectations and pick different races that maybe were... Like, I really wanted to win a marathon, mm-hmm. um, and I've been shooting for Boston, New York, the games, these really big races, and I was like, maybe I go do the local one, or maybe I do the Detroit Marathon, or the Traverse City one, or whatever it may be, just so I could have that experience of right. winning a marathon, because you kind of well, need that. Well, yeah, I mean, you, <laughs> you, you've sort of been a bridesmaid for throughout your career. Like, yeah. you've, you've been able to kind of ascend to the top of the sport, and yet still lacked that, like, one big victory. For sure. And so was that part of what kind of motivated you to get back into serious training or? Yeah. I mean, I, I missed it when I wasn't training and running. I was, I got to the point where I started to miss it and that was a good sign. Yeah, that is a good sign. And then I started doing races that were short and just out of my wheelhouse, but I could do a lot of races and compete and you do a 5k every weekend. And I was like, oh, that this is fun too. Like I like competing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of rebuilt my love that way. Um, but it's not ideal for marathon training to have a block of inconsistency. Right. But I think finding that love for the sport is something that perhaps is a little bit underrated in the long run, right? <laughs> for sure. If you're hating yeah. it every day, you could be super fit or hitting all your marks in your workouts, yeah. but your mental game isn't gonna be as dialed as it possibly could. Right, I mean, having the passion for competing and for what you're doing, you know, makes all the difference. If it's right. a job, if it's all it is is a job, like you're not going to be great. Um, you got to love the work too. But at some point, you, it must have clicked in. Like, okay, I'm going to Boston. Like, it's time to get serious. Yeah, I mean, in Boston's always been the race that got me fired up. So once that was on the the schedule, and it was like I'm going to that race. Um, that's when I have an easier time preparing and like, okay, this is where I visualize myself down Boylston. And, um, you know, I've been doing that ever since I first ran there in 2007. Like I well, picturing yourself yeah. winning that race. You so. named your dog Boston, right? I did. Yeah. So this is, this is like a heavy thing. Like why, why, I mean, I understand, but like why, why Boston? Why not New York? Why not Berlin? Sure. Um, Boston was my debut marathon. 2007, it was uh, similar conditions to this year's, um, not quite as mm-hmm. bad, but I, you know, it was a thing that kept me in the sport. I never thought I was going to be a professional runner. And I was like, well, I'll try this marathon, try to qualify for the Olympic trials, and then move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that race, I was like, I love this event. I love 26.2 miles, but this course and with all the history, um, it just captured my heart and it was like, I wanted to see what I can do here. But prior to that, I think I had read that you thought like marathoning was crazy. Like it wasn't <laughs> like you were always pining to run a marathon. Yeah, no, I still think it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I wasn't sold on it at all. I mean, coming out of 
in college, I was a person who was like, the 10K is insane. There's no way I'm running that far. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a 1500 meter runner. Right. <laughs> and the coach is like, 5K. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, fine. You get talked into the longer stuff. It's interesting looking at the trajectory of your career because you were a, you were a good high school runner and you were a good college runner, but you weren't like a superstar. Like I think you got third at Pac-10s or something like that mm-hmm. at ASU. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna have a career as a professional runner and, mm-hmm. and just rise all the way to the top. Yeah. Is that, is that fair to say or? Absolutely. Um, yeah, same, same type of bridesmaid thing where I was an All-American. Um, I was a runner-up, I believe, at, at the high school level at a state championships mm-hmm. and uh, but I always competed and worked out with athletes who had those big breakthrough performances. Like I ran with Amy Hastings, now Craig, uh, Victoria Jackson, Lisa Aguilera, all these people who won national championships and I did everything with them. So it was like, what am I doing wrong that I can't have this breakthrough? What am I doing wrong that, you know, I'm working out and doing the exact same stuff as these guys. So I have the ability. I'm just haven't got it done yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did what did, what do you think it was that was not allowing you to get up on that next rung at that time? Like what did you learn over the over the years that has allowed you to come? Because like your career is really just one of of gradual progression upward, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was patience, um, just letting my body adapt to the work and not forcing things. Uh, but it was also even in college, it was like. I wanted it so bad that I tried to force it. And sometimes you have to like step back and like, again, like love what you're doing and just engage in the process and not worry about the result. Like mm-hmm. just worry about what you're doing right now. Um, and I felt like when I would see things slipping, like, oh, the result is not gonna happen today. I would just like get so frustrated and find myself giving up on it. Um, so like yeah. detaching from those short-term results and just falling in love with running itself and kind of having a, a longer-term view. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So in the ramp up to Boston, you, you, you take this, I mean, it, it sort of appears on paper like that five-month period off was kind of instrumental, right? And in, in, in kind of rebooting your operating system and, and getting you fresh and excited about the sport again. Yeah, it was definitely necessary. <laughs> um, I don't think I could have gone through another big training block without having done that. I think I would have been really frustrated and maybe not even made it to the line to the start, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you go through the segment, I'm a big picture person. I don't think that a marathon result is predicated on the last three months. I say it's result of the last, you know, 12 months. And mm-hmm. so I knew I had this big hole. Um, in my buildup, even though my buildup to Boston was pretty solid, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. But does that play into your kind of mental uh, confidence as you line up on the starting line thinking, oh man, like this is like the greatest aggregation of you know US female marathoners in, <laughs> in God knows how long, right? And you're thinking about like the days that you didn't train. Yeah, yeah, no, that was certainly on my mind. And <laughs> I was like, thank, thank goodness it's pouring rain and there's other factors. Uh-huh. Uh, Cause you just expect to be exposed, you know, like, mm-hmm. but you didn't do all the work this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also been doing this for long 13 time. years as right. a pro. So, I mean, it's a kind of a, 
blip on the radar, really. And those Michigan winters. Right. <laughs> yeah. They played a huge part, I think. Yeah. Um, so, so walk me through like the first, you know, walk me through the first part of the race up until the, the big, you know, Shalane event. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I didn't feel great. And I think part of me was thinking this race was going to be a stepping stone for the next one to be really good. And so with the conditions, it was like, feel it out mile by mile. And if this is going to be detrimental to the building process of the next one, like you have to just cut your losses today. Yeah. Mm. Um, I I think a lot of people are going to have a really hard time recovering from that race. And I was thinking about that up front, which Mm -hmm. is not a great attitude to go in with, but it's also is realistic for like the rest of my career you're thinking about like a couple more years to do this. So I don't want to blow another year on this race that could, you know, just be really hard to recover from. Right, right, right. So it was a weird mindset to have in a race and especially that early on. Um, but that's where I was mentally and the pace was surprisingly, I thought we were just going to jog. I thought it was going to be like right. six thirty, seven minutes. No one's leading. Um, and there was a couple of East Africans who took turns off the front, like really running in the five forties, five mid five thirties. And it's like, this seems really aggressive for these, these conditions. And so I think that was also playing into how I felt like mm-hmm. this isn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. And then you have a little chat with Shalane at some point, right? Yeah. And it just, all of that feeling and what I might, when I might step the, off the course, if I was going to do that, um, I just kind of turned to her and said, I, I don't think it's my day. Let me know if I can do anything for you. Cause she looked like she was ready to go. Everything in the interviews leading up is like, she's fit. She's got a shot to win this. She's coming off a of great New York. So right. I'll block the wind. If you need me to do that, just tuck in behind me. I mean, that's a pretty amazing gesture, you know, <laughs> in a race where it's all on the line for all of you guys. And I think ultimately that's a big part of why everybody fell in love with you. <laughs> you know, like the, to sacrifice yourself on that level, you know, on the global, on the global stage, um, you know, for, for the, you know, for the, the betterment of, you know, American female marathoners is, is kind of an amazing thing. But she goes in, she does this 13 second pit stop, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then you work her back up to the group. But the, the pace was pretty relaxed at that moment, right? Is that right? Yeah, she, she kind of faded back and was like, I need to go to the bathroom. Do you think it's a good idea? <laughs> Which is the weirdest conversation ever mid-race. Um, I mean, typically, does that happen that often? It doesn't seem to happen no, that, and that's no, kind of like, you're no. done if you have to do that, right? Yeah. You're out of it. Typically, yeah. yeah. Right. So Josh, you're you're in a hotel room by yourself, pacing like in your underwear, right? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Screaming at the yeah, TV, like yeah. when you see this, like what's going through your mind? Well, I was down in the friends and family area, and it's they have a couple TVs, but you can't hear anything, and it's everyone's talking, and the competitors' families are there too, so you can't really get into it. And I'm a big sports fan guy who it does yell at the TV and uh-huh. stuff, and I need to focus. Yeah, no, and I I just want to like pace and do the thing, like you're saying, and I'm up there and. I was a little bit surprised. Um, I mean, we obviously Des and I are really close, and been she's like a sister to me, and we've been working together since 2011. And she's always very honest with me, and we talk a lot, or we text a ton actually. And uh, but I had the night before I had been in their hotel room with Ryan, and we kind of for like two hours just talking about the plan and how it was going to go, or maybe not go, or. Mm-hmm the weather and the factors. And we knew that the weather was going to be a plus 
for Des. Right. Because she's so tough between the ears that other athletes are going to see it and view this as a total negative and this is horrible and look at these conditions and the headwind and the rain and she's just super tough. Right. And, but all that, knowing how the buildup had gone, um, to see her drop back, I was like, okay, well, that's, this is a new uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. development. New tactic. Yeah. And she did it and she brought her back up and I'm like, that's it's, it's a really cool gesture. It's all class. You yeah. know, something that you don't see. Um, it was, you know, it was, it was like cycling or something and the domestic going back and, right. you know, it, yeah, to pull the, yeah. pull it, but, but, but you guys aren't technically teammates no. and you're not, you, you make some prior agreement <clears throat> to, you know, work for the betterment of the team leader. No, yeah, it's no, like, no they're actually rivals and they yeah. are team, you know, USA yeah. national team and Rio Olympians together and all of it. But yeah, there is, there's this thing, I think over the last couple of years, the rivalry has really turned into friendship, which is really cool between Des and Shalane. And Shalane's an amazing runner, and we couldn't have been happier with her New York performance. But yeah, she drops back to help her, and it was mm-hmm. like, well, this is this is very surprising. I think you called. I read somewhere where you called uh, you called Des a gamer. Yeah. So, is there something about the heightened? Um, experience of being in a race that that allows you to rise to the occasion like is your does your motivation come from from that you know being sort of placed in that kind of an experience or like is it about racing other people is is it more internally driven like what gets you pumped up yeah i mean i look forward to race day i think some people get nervous or um, they're afraid of it a little bit like that's i say all the time you do all the training because the race is the reward. Mm -hmm. That's so fun to me. Like I love lining up with everything on the line. Like you could change your life today. That's so cool. Um, I mean, and I look forward to it and I get excited about that. And I, I think that's why I'm this quote unquote gamers because I can't wait to race. You know, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. And I like the nervous, anxious, all of that. And just going out and doing your thing. Yeah, and and having trained in the in the Michigan winters, I mean, I would imagine you're thinking, oh, I, this is this is nothing compared to what I'm used to. These Africans are gonna just cave. They don't like to run in the rain at all. Yeah, they're not even going outside on a day like that. Right. Um, but you know, I've had days in Michigan. There's some hilarious things that we do that you're like, that's just a bad idea. Yeah. Um, like, uh, the, I think I've run the coldest is negative uh, thirty wind chill. Um, you know, and coaches like go out and run and we'll drive by you in case anyone gets a little too cold. Right. <laughs> and it's funny. You're just like, he's an, he's insane. This is the dumbest thing. There are treadmills, you know, and you go out and you do it. You stop whining for a second. And like, it's actually not that bad. Like if you dress right and you have some people with you and like, Oh, like I didn't die. And so it changes your perspective on what you can handle. Right. Um, I don't know if it's necessary, but so when you're out when you're out on the course in Boston, is that looping in your mind like that day that you went out in the in in those kind of conditions? For sure. I mean, it's like I've done worse than this. I'm not this. You know, it could get bad. It could be a thing where you have to step off and say, "Well, if it was the negative thirty and I needed coach's car, it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need the out." no one's going to fault you on a day like that. But it was also like, I've done this before. Mm-hmm. It's okay. So uh, after, after the, you know, working Shalane back up into the pack, was there a moment where, 
you know, you, it, things kind of shifted, like a gear shifted, and you thought, like, I actually, like, feel good. Like, maybe I can, you know, take this, or maybe I need to shift my expectation level. Um, it was a little while later. I actually got her up to the group, and they had started turning off some good miles just because they knew she was being dropped. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, we worked back up, and and then I started falling off the back, and I was like, oh, well, that's it. And it goes, that's... I did the gesture and we'll see what happens from here. But um, I thought it was going to be dropped and I kind of looked up and it's like, I I was closing it down. They were kind of slowing up again. And then I I saw Molly huddle at the front and, you know, another American hope who thought was going to have a great day. And I was like, she shouldn't be leading into the wind. Like they're never going to close up the gap to Dasca. If Molly's on the, Mm -hmm. if, if they do, if Molly does it, she's, done like that's her day um and so i just thought i'll go up front and lead that group as long as i can and try to get them back up to Dasca, and then see what happens from there like i can step off (laughs) sacrifice number two right yeah for the greater good yeah and you were able to do that right like you worked that you worked you you pulled them back up yeah i I really well i reattached to that group because i'd been getting dropped and then i went straight to the front and started pulling that group towards the leader. And uh, a couple minutes later, I looked back just to make sure, like, tuck in, don't take any wind on, like, I'm doing this, it's fine. Uh, I looked back, and it was, like, three of us that had totally pulled away from the group. Like, Mm -hmm. I had completely splintered it up. So I was like, well, I'm probably the strongest of all these people. If I'm dropping people, I might feel bad, but I'm clearly feeling better than everybody else. So I probably should stay in it. That's super interesting, that that sort of um, equation between how you feel and how you're actually doing, you yeah. know, like your subjective experience versus objectively what's happening and being able to like separate from how you feel and just continue to keep going. Yeah. I mean, I, I my college coach, you know, would ask us before races all the time, like, you ready to go? And some people would respond, well, I feel kind of tired or my legs don't feel that poppy. He's like, I didn't, I didn't ask you how you felt. I don't care. Mm-hmm. You're either ready or you're not. And that's always kind of how I looked at it. Um, like, I've done the work. I'm ready. It doesn't matter how I feel. And I think because of the conditions I was really evaluating early on, like, how do I feel? Is this going to put me in the whole long like, recovery, longevity, the whole thing? And so that's the first time I've spent a lot of time evaluating how I felt. And then by the middle of the race, it was like, what? Am, I don't need to do that. Right. Just go back matter. to what works. Uh-huh. Right. And, and around this moment, like, what's going on in your head, Josh, <laughs> as you're watching this unfold? Honestly, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I it's Des's story to tell, and she'll tell the whole story at some point. But I'll say this. Since I've been working with her, I've, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an eternal optimist. I always think, hey, she's put in the work. She's super solid. She always has a shot to win. The only There's only been two races that we went to that I'm like, she's probably not breaking the tape. And one was Berlin in, in 2013. We decided to go there because this was after her femoral stress fracture that she had at the London Games. And it was a comeback race. And it was like, mm-hmm. hey, let's just go. Let's run under 230. Just get one under our belt. So that one was just like, hey, let's just put it in the fairway. And this was another one because of, you know, since really last summer, um, it was it was a rough year. And she'd had some good days and some bad days and some zeros. And I just thought, this won't be one where she wins. I mean, it's 
just, totally, totally fair. Just, right. just, just, just <laughs> yeah. being objective. I, I mean, how dare you? <laughs> I, know, I know. It's like <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> yeah, you're fired. See you guys. <laughs> no, but it was. I was. I was. I was in disbelief. What I was seeing on TV, and my wife's in there, and my buddy Ben is in there, coach that I work with, because he wanted to hear as well. And I had the NPC gold on my laptop and I had mm-hmm. the local coverage there and one goes to commercial I'm listening to the other one you know and I'm watching this going this is amazing <laughs> and it wasn't it, it was just I couldn't believe how good she looked and I, she had had some good days in training you know mm-hmm. as you do but if it was last year last year going in her build up was spot on I thought this doesn't go win does can win this time I was like well We'll see. Right. And I was just surprised that that she looked so good. She was popping off the ground and everyone else was starting to fall apart. Right. Totally fall apart. When when you dropped, she dropped the whole group and then she kind of like looked back and you see her look back and it was like Like confused. Yeah. And then (laughs) she just kept going. And it was like, dude, this this might be her day. How much of that do you think does is is being able to kind of stay present and have your mental focus super attuned versus just the physical challenges. Yeah, I think so much of it's mental. Um, And you can see it in the first half of the race where I'm doing all these things um, that I wouldn't typically do because of how I feel and I'm worried about that. Right, if you felt great, you wouldn't have- You don't have people. Yeah, you'd be like, they're on their own. Yeah. But, and I think, that helping people has removed me from thinking about myself and how I felt, and this is hard. And it was like, let me just do this task. And you become task-oriented, and then you have a little bit of success. Okay, I got Shalane to the group. That was a mm-hmm. win for the day. Um, and you forget about the bigger picture, and you just stay in the moment and do the thing in the moment. And um, as I started to do that and just focus on the moment I was in, not what was ahead and how much was left and how bad I felt and how windy or rainy it was, um, that's when I started getting into a rhythm. I never felt great, but I just, it didn't matter anymore. (laughs) Yeah, like taking that focus off of yourself, I would imagine sort of releases the pressure a little bit too. Yeah. Right, and then and maybe there's a little bit of a greater relaxation where you can kind of settle into it and you're not really thinking about you and what you're gonna do. And then suddenly everyone's falling off the back and you're like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> right. Absolutely. It's so it was kind of at mile twenty two, right, where you just you took the lead. Yeah, I think it was twenty two and Dosca, we closed down the group on Dosca and uh Cheshire from Kenya was a little bit in front of me. I think she held the lead for about three minutes. Um and then I passed her and I just felt like if I was going to pass her I had to go from there in just because the experience in 2011, I was like, you have to race from here and you have to race hard. And I mm-hmm. don't want to be in a sprint finish on Boylston. So I'm going to start You've pressing now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 2011, you lost by two seconds or something like two that. Two seconds. Yeah. yeah. So is that going, that's going through your mind, I would imagine too, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And and forgive me if this is an ignorant question, yeah. but when you when you take the lead, do you know that you're in the lead or are you still like, is there somebody else still up there? Like how, do you have that kind of clarity? Yeah, no, I knew I was in the lead. Um, 
I didn't know what was really going on behind me and like, okay, we passed Asuka and I think she's going the wrong way. Like she's not going to come back on me, Mm -hmm. but you know, I'm definitely slowing down. I can tell in my cadence and pace, like I just feel like I'm running really slow. So I'm also thinking it's just a matter of time before someone who's paced this better comes charging by me. Mm -hmm. Um, And and then I also wasn't sure if uh, Cheshire was able to respond. I kind of just thought she was going to sit on me and wait for the kick. And do you like turn around and check on that? Or is it, that's not like, you just keep your eyes going forward? I I didn't look, I just kind of wanted that in my head that I was in a really intense race right. so that I would keep my foot on the gas. And how much does the crowd kind of contribute to the energy? Yeah, it's in Boston, it's amazing. Um, they know when an American's in front and they're out there cheering no matter what, but when it's, you know, an American, you can feel it along mm-hmm. the course. And, um, you know, the crowds were a little lighter because the weather, but it was still pretty, pretty unreal. <laughs> yeah. And, and Josh, what are you doing? When she takes the lead, what's going on with you? I just thought, I hope that those early water stations, elite <laughs> fluid stations that she skipped, uh, don't come back to bite her. Mm-hmm. This is the thing. She, she's a consummate pro. And I think something, a decision she made before the gun even went off that morning paid huge dividends. And she was, she's at the church there at the start in, in Hopkinton and all the athletes are going out and they're coming back in and they're soaked and they're freezing and they're shivering. And she decided not to warm up. Right. I read that. And I was like, how do you not warm up? Well, I think we were <laughs> the first 10 miles. Freezing, right? well, and, that, and that was part of the conversation the night before was it's going to be slow. No one, it's going to be a race to the back. That's what we thought. The pack's going to go out and everyone's going to be a race to the back. It's a 30 mile an hour headwinds. Mm-hmm. Got something over 30 miles an hour. I mean, we walked out that morning and it was literally funny. I mean, I'm walking her from the photo op to the bus and I have have my Padre hat on and and the hood and the hood flies off and the hat almost goes and she just starts laughing. Like this is, it was something out of central casting. Uh I mean, literally the, the, the rain, it's like this just dumping, like someone's dumping buckets and it was like sideways. It's one of those things, if they did it, on a set, they'd be like, "That's too much." No one's just <laughs> not believable. No, yeah, 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 it was fine. And she started laughing and just, "Oh, didn't see this coming at all." Like because we had talked about it over the night before. But that was the thing. We thought the start was just going to be a race to the fin- race to the back, mm-hmm. and it was no one's going to want to lead this start to finish and go. Right. Everyone's just going to be tucking in. And so she didn't warm up, but she thought the early miles this will this would be a great time to warm up. This will be fantastic and. It wasn't that way. They kind of pressed, but she was dry, and she wore her Brooks jacket, and it was honestly she the clothing she chose was perfect, mm-hmm. and she stayed dry. She had a hat on, and then she pulled out her little ear headband thing right before the start and kept it dry. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of that, and something that the reason why a lot of athletes are having a hard time recovering now was. You're burning through so much glycogen mm-hmm. just to keep your core temperature up. Right. And so you're not running that fast. You do have a headwind, but you're you're shivering. I mean, you could see people in the pack watching it. I had other athletes. I'm like, she's really cold. I can tell. Yeah. And it's Des was very, very smart. But when she she had done all this helping and Shalane and Molly and kind of skipped some bottles, which is not Des. I mean, she's the one that grabs her Nathan bottle and runs with it for a mile until it's gone. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not, she, it's, you know, four to eight ounces, depending on how hot it is. And she has her stuff and she, we drink it to the end. It's not like, Oh, if I'm thirsty or whatever, it's, this is what you need for this 5k. 
and having getting the blood sugar up all of it it's she's she's a pro but she had skipped some some early and i'm like well right. you know it's uh, probably it's gonna be one of those days and then she's in the front and i'm thinking about all these things uh, going like right. if she cramps up something right. but i was just like okay let's go you know mm-hmm. and it was i i was tempering my expectations so it's like the thing that we've talked about over burgers and beers and a hundred times like you're gonna have your day this is gonna be amazing and someday it's gonna be you and you know it's like you start reflecting back on the london olympics and sitting there at the team usa house and we're all we all have the thousand mile stare like you had to drop out you made the olympics yeah yeah and it's this like bittersweet thing you're you've accomplished this big goal and now it's it's just this is it like and then the Rio, and then it's last summer, and it's like this roller coaster of things. You dream about this moment. So I wasn't letting myself believe yet that today was her day. Mm-hmm. Des is going to be the Boston Marathon champion, and that's forever. I mean, it, it's, I couldn't allow myself to go there yet. I was hopeful, and I was praying, and I was like, please let this be the day. But... I wasn't, I hadn't committed there yet. Because yeah, I, I was like, you. I'm just going to get crushed. My soul's going to well, get also, crushed. Also, I mean, with, with that kind of wind, it really is almost like a cycling race where, I mean, and, and you're sacrificing yourself on the front. The energy output yeah. that you're expending is, is, is so much more significant than the people that you're pulling. So you're actually doing more work than everyone else. And the question becomes like, okay, are you going to, when is this going to, you know, run out? When are you going to run yeah. out of gas? Right. No, that's, I ran the last several miles just in fear. Um, And I didn't look back because I didn't, you know, I wanted to feel like I was in a race, but it was also like, I knew I skimped on those early bottles. And when you hit the wall in the marathon, it's not like losing 20 seconds a mile. It's a minute and 20 seconds a mile. Like you're you're done. You're not responding. You're not, you know, coming back. And so... I was riding the line of like, am I going too deep in the well? Um, How do my legs feel a little bit shaky? Like when am I crossing over into this? Like I'm doing the death march home. And um, yeah, I was afraid for that moment because I just thought it was inevitable after the things I did early. (laughs) And, and you were, you, at one moment you were near the end, you were going to try to take your jacket off, right? Yeah. I think it was 25.5. You go under a, overpass and I was like I'll I'll take the jacket off and you can see me fidget with it and I kind of bite it my hands were too cold I was like if somebody passes me because I'm playing with my jacket it's gonna I'll be so mad at myself forever if I lose the Boston Marathon because I wanted a better winner's picture like that would be ridiculous right the single (laughs) shot versus the jacket shot I wanted it in the jersey let's do the thing where you win (laughs) the image that will live in infamy forever right right? you doing something silly there's the person who celebrated too early and then there's the person who tried to get a better finishing picture like that would be horrible (laughs) All right, so so walk me through like crossing that finish line I mean what is that experience like yeah um, it's right on Hereford, left on Boylston. I made the left and it was like the heavens just opened up and the wind gusted even harder. And I think I laughed. Like someone asked me the other day, did you smile when you turned on to Boylston? Uh I think I did because it was like, again, it was just comical how bad the weather was. And it was like, there's 600 meters to go and I'm going to get one last like from mother nature. Um, And I still wasn't sure I had it in the bag. So I felt like I just needed to run 
strong and be ready to respond if someone mm-hmm. was on me. So that's how I ran that stretch. And uh, when I got past the Lennox Hotel, um, I think that's where I got out kicked in 2011. That's when I was like, okay, I think I think I got this. Yeah. Um, and then I saw Tom Grilk of the BAA did like a fist pump and you could start hearing the loud, them announcing like, this Desiree Linden, she's going to be your Boston champion. And I was like, okay, no one's, I got it. And, yeah. and that's when I was able to celebrate. So it was a couple strides from the line. Um, and I was in disbelief. I was just, this, this can't be real. And it was all the stuff we talked about, you know, it just seemed like it was not going to be my year. Yeah, that's what makes it so beautiful and poetic that you had sacrificed yourself twice. You had thought like, this is, you know, if anything, I'm gonna help these other women. Mm -hmm. And then for it all to switch and make it your day is just something really amazing. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. So, uh, so John, Josh, you, you, you sort of have this famous embrace with Des at the finish line, right? Like beating Ryan. To- yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. She yeah, crosses. Like, oh, go ahead. I, go no, no, no. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So she crosses yeah. and then Joni's there. And I mean, we're all, we're there and everyone's, we're friends with everyone in Boston. We mm-hmm. go there every year. We, not just in the spring, we're doing other things. We, the servers at the hotel know us. It's it's like family. So everyone in the BAA is there, and they're like grabbing my shoulder, like I think it's gonna happen, and yeah. like they told us we have to, you know, just be professional. But I don't care. I I just I gotta. <laughs> I love Des, and 
we're all there and everyone's so excited. And she crosses line and Joni, she's wearing the in the hood and you know, all black all and goes black, and, yeah. and hugs her. And I was I was like waiting and we were waiting, but Ryan and I had been there like this is this yeah. is gonna happen, and we had been like hugging and doing whatever, like just waiting for her to come through. And we should it on say just for people that are listening, Ryan is Des's husband. Yes, Thank yes, you. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Ryan Linden, um, great dude. So we're there. Joni hugs her, and then it was just pure emotion, and we just ran out and hugged. And if I could go back, I would acquiesce and give them like a 10 second five second i don't know something at least like so there yeah. can be a photo of Split them hugging. yeah like anything but right. we just i i was kind of like stepping out and i was like ryan ryan let's go let's go like this is like this is the time to do it and we just ran out and uh the first thing des said was i can't believe that just happened and it was like <laughs> Neither can we. Like yeah. it was, it right. was, and I think I said you were in this or something, and I don't know. It was just I was crying like a baby, and it was. I know the work that it takes. I was a runner, you know, and that mm-hmm. whole thing. And these are the things you dream about. These are the things that get you out of bed at five a.m. when the alarm goes off and it's dark outside, and it's you don't want to go and do the run before the travel schedule, but you go out and you get your 12 miles in. And it's this dream of one day it's all gonna come together and it's gonna be my day. It's all of these things that you've seen in your mind's eye again and again and again and again. And you want that so bad. And I've never, I've never been so excited for someone else to do anything. Uh-huh. My brother sent me a text. He's like, dude, that's the happiest you've ever been in your life. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, you've never cried like that in your entire life. Uh-huh. I, I haven't cried since my my eight, 18 month old right. was born, like before that. And I was just overcome with uh, so much joy and happiness. And because it was a sh- it was a shock too. So the, right. the the difference with like a child's birth, it's it's cool and it's great. And you it's know it's coming. It's, it's coming. coming. You know you know very well. Particularly the last month, it's like yeah. it's all you hear about. Like get this baby out of me. I'm so big. And it's this thing that you can prepare for. This uh, I was not prepared for this. I mean, it was just this awesome uh, moment where Des had done the thing, uh-huh. and she got it done, and she put this stamp on her career, and she'd been. You know, second in Chicago in 2010 because of subsequent disqualifications. Mm -hmm. And then her real coming out party was at Boston in 2011. The sprint finished with Caroline Colau. And it really, like, put her on the map. And But then it's since that time, that's right after that is when we started working together. And it's like, you're going to get to the mountaintop. And it's, you have to believe that as an athlete, that it's all going to come together. That, I mean, does, has said it a hundred times, but... Sport isn't always fair. We all work very hard, and you hope you get that day where it all comes together and you get this massive ROI on your lifetime mm-hmm. of work. And she did it. And I'm just like... Under the craziest <laughs> of circumstances. Like, I, if you had to script oh. that moment as somebody who's been, you know, chasing this dream for so long and, you know, had come so close so many times and, you know, was climbing that mountain and just, you know, like Sisyphus pushing that rock <laughs> up the mountain <laughs> time and time again. I mean, ultimately for it to materialize in, in, in such a such a strange but beautiful way. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't hope for anything better than that. Yeah. No, I mean, I said it after the race and still applies it's storybook really is it's um fairy tale stuff and 
but real life, <laughs> which I mean, is what pretty is cool. It, you know, it's been, you know, there's been a number of weeks that have passed. Mm-hmm. Do you have greater, some objectivity on it or a little more perspective now? Like, what does it mean to you? Yeah, I. it's the thing that I can say I everything was worth it. All the work was worth it. You know, you dream of it and you put in the hours, you put in the time. Um, again, there's no, there's no guarantee. Everybody works hard. Um, but you believe in yourself and you buy into this idea every time you line up for a major. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, there's been twice where I thought not, not going to happen for me this time, but, um, since 2011 moving forward, if I start a marathon, it's, I'm there to try and win. Like I believe I can win. I've been preparing the last three months and saying, well, I'm, I'm going to be a Boston Marathon champion. So what does a champion do? And you bring that attitude to every day. You act as if you're already there. Um, and then if it doesn't happen, you have to deal with the aftermath uh, and regroup and then buy into yourself again and keep doing that um, and not give up hope. And so it's a really hard thing to do and there's no guarantees, but um, yeah, it makes all of that worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, if there's anything, if there's like a word that that really kind of captures your your career, it's just it's persistence, right? You, you've mm-hmm. you've got this phrase, keep showing up, mm-hmm. right? You trademarked it, yeah. which is genius. It's in the works. <laughs> I love that. Um, and you, uh, I, I have my computer here because I wanted to read this tweet that you cool. had, that you had pinned, which is um, you posted this on March fifth. Some days it just flows, and I feel like I'm born to do this. Other days it feels like I'm trudging through hell. Every day I make the choice to show up and see what I've got and try to be better. My advice, keep showing up. So can you expound on that a little bit? Because I think that's, that's applicable to anyone and everyone who's chasing a goal or a dream. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the last 10 months prior to this were really tough and it was as simple as go out for a run and don't skip the job just because you think it might go a certain way or you don't feel good. Just go and see. And most of the time you get out the door and it goes better than you thought. Um, but if you don't do it at all, like you have no chance of getting better. You're, it's a zero. It's You just look at it with some kind of regret, you know? So there was a lot of days where I didn't want to get out the door in the past couple months and it was just show up, just try, just Mm -hmm. see. And every time I've done that, you know, it's the thing we say, there's no one comes back from a a run and says, I wish I hadn't done that. Right. You know, and so for me, it was just give yourself a chance, just try, just start. And it's not always going to go your way, but you don't know unless you show up. Mm -hmm. And is that something that that you apply in other areas of your life? I try to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, as a friend and uh, as a wife and all of that, even personal relationships. It's just be there for people, um, you know, try and be a good wife. And some days it's hard, <laughs> um, but you show up and you do the best you can and that's how you get better. That's how you learn. And it's okay to fail. Just try again the next day. Mm-hmm. What is your relationship with failure? Or how do you think about failure? Yeah, I, I'm actually incredibly comfortable with it. Um, I talk about it quite often. Last year was the big thing where I was like, I'm, you know, trying to win the Boston Marathon. I put it out there very publicly. And um, afterwards it didn't happen. I said, you know, I failed, but that's okay. And people were like, you didn't fail. You were amazing, this and that. And I was like, no, it's 
Like I wanted to do this thing and I failed to do it. That's I failed, but you don't failure is an action. It's not an identity. We do it all the time. And if you learn from it, you get better and that's how you grow. Mm -hmm. So I think being super afraid of failure, um, you kind of miss the point. Like those are the lessons. That's where you learn the most. Like you fail your way to success. I feel like we need a different word. Like failure has such a negative connotation and mm -hmm. it scares us. Yeah. Um, if we could come up with a new word for it that right. we're comfortable with, then maybe we'd be more willing to put ourselves on the line. Yeah. Because we're so afraid of suffering the consequences of what we consider to be failure and then beat ourselves up, but that prevents us from the trying. Right, stepping out and yeah. giving it a go. But now that you've won and there's all this attention on you and you're throwing baseballs everywhere, uh -huh. like what is, how do you, yeah, how do you, I mean, it's a, it's a different experience now for you, right? Like, do you feel like an, is there, you feel like everybody's eyeballs are on you or is there like a different kind of pressure that you carry with yourself? Like, how do you, it's a new phase, right? That it probably is. probably requires a little growth to acclimate to. Yeah. Um, I honestly I haven't really even processed that yet. Like what's next and how I'm going to, you know, wrap my mind around it. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of riding the high right now. <laughs> Do you, so you don't know, like you, you have an idea of what another race would be or what's the next big yeah. goal or challenge? Um, well, I do feel like there's been a huge sense of relief. Like I felt like I needed this highlight on my, my resume um, and I have it now, which is great. But now I can just pick things that I'm really excited about and find that, like I, this race of it's been the thing driving me for so long. So mm -hmm. I do, uh, there'll be that like post-marathon lull because it's like, well, what is going to get me that excited? What's going to get me out the door uh, now? And so I want to find a race that really speaks to me that way. Um, and I'll most likely do a fall marathon. Mm -hmm. So that's probably in the works and um, go from there. Just I get to be really picky from here on yeah. here on out and just do the stuff that I'm really passionate about. Yeah, and do you, do you, do you sense that there's an additional pressure on you now to sort of hold that line being the Boston Victor, or do you try to not think about that? There, there might be, I just don't notice it. Yeah, that's <laughs> I good, mean, yeah. that's super healthy. I, I think, think I'm just gonna go out and keep doing me and I don't see any big change. Um, I think the American women as a whole are so strong right now that I won't be surprised if I'm viewed as an underdog in the future still, because uh -huh. <laughs> that's just kind of been what, play, like my role in this sport as the underdog. <laughs> well, the American women marathoners are certainly having a moment right now. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of amazing what's going on. So what's interesting about that is like why, I mean, we have Shalane, you know, winning New York, now you winning Boston and a whole bunch of other outstanding performances. Sarah Hall just had an amazing mm -hmm. run. That was like last week or something like yeah, that, two weeks ago. I mean, this is unprecedented in recent history. So like, what is going on? Like, why now? Like, what is yeah. happening that's contributing to um, this level of, of performance from American women marathoners? Yeah, I think we're getting more support with um, companies and um, endorsements and you can make a career out of, of running. Mm -hmm. And so that keeps people in it longer. Uh, you can develop. And I think two people are switching to the marathon earlier. You know, it's like, it's this really great event that you can have a career in. It used to be as soon as you got too slow for the track, 
then you had to go the marathon, and that was yeah. where the old slow folks went. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Where the marathon's going it's, to, it's getting sexy. You know, people want to be there. Um, they see the attention around this big event, and they're really selling it. Um, and the success is going to breed success, and you know, the more opportunities we have, and the more you can make a career out of it, uh, the longer people can stay in it. So. Yeah, and also to see people performing at such a high level in their mid to late 30s. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's just, it's it's amazing. And that's purely a function of, of be, people being able to support themselves doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I would imagine. What is the role of of your coach and, and kind of coaching in general in in your, you know, your your performances? Mm-hmm. Like, what? how does that work for you? Yeah, I've been with the same coaches for my entire pro career. And so, like, we got, I've, I do the same basically marathon buildup every mm-hmm. time. And then as I've done more and more, I know what I need from it or what I need to tweak. And so it's more of um, a collaboration now, not like, here's what you're doing and, mm-hmm. you know, show up this day and this time and do these paces. It's like, I li- I would like that here. I would like that there. Um, and it's uh, it's kind of a team effort that way, I would say. Has the training changed or evolved over the years or do you kind of do basically the same thing you've always been doing? It's very, very similar. Yeah. Um, and the big things that I think I do better than a number of my teammates um, in which why I've, I believe I've had more success with the training than some other people have um, is balancing in speed work and breaks and then marathon training and, you know, knowing you can't keep doing the same cycle over and over, you have to go back to the track or you have to get into the shorter 5k races, do some cross country. um, And it's knowing when to put those things in and tap into the strength or tap into the speed. So in other words, a lot of other people aren't doing the track work and the speed work yeah, as, th- as much as you think I they think should be. people like to do what they're really good at, which makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense, but sometimes you got to go practice the thing that you suck at and get better at it so that it helps you, you know, with mm-hmm. the part, the strength stuff that you're good at or whatever it is. I mean, it's interesting to hear you say that because, you know, I can understand that for sort of couch, you know, sort of couch cruiser marathoners mm-hmm. who are just trying to break four hours or whatever. Right. Like they don't need to do a lot of track work, but at your level, you guys are running so fast that I would imagine everybody's at the track. You'd be surprised. Really? <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And and also to hear you, I mean, it sounds like you're you're kind of a traditionalist, right? Like, okay, here's what works. This is kind of what's always worked. In an age when it seems like every month, like there's a new thing, like mm-hmm. here's a new diet or here's a new recovery <laughs> tool or here, you know, all those long runs, you don't need to do that. You right. should be doing this instead. Like, are you able to just tune all that out and just say, this is what works. I listen to my coach. I know what I need. Yeah, I, everyone wants a hack, right? Um, but running's always gonna make you a better runner. And I just, I think it's super simple. You go out and you log the miles and like rest is, you know, recovery is getting good sleep, a mm-hmm. massage, that's it. It's like, I mean, you don't have to get cute. What about like compression socks and uh, <laughs> what are those, the, Nor- the Normatec boots and all that kind of stuff? Do you do all, like, do you do any of that kind of thing? Um, I'll flirt with that stuff. I mean, I don't mind the socks, especially if it's cold. Yeah, the <laughs> um, track and field, they don't like, they don't like compression socks too much, right? Yeah, not the There's track. There's that great man. story where like, uh, was it Chris Lieta went out to train with you guys? Yeah up in Mammoth and he shows up in his compression <laughs> shot, socks and you guys are laughing at him. <laughs> You're like, no, real runners don't wear those. <laughs> are you sure they just we weren't laughing at Leado? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're just laughing at Chris, it's fine. No. Uh, he's a good dude. It's um, so funny. 
And and Josh, as as somebody who was an extraordinary runner in your own right, 50K, was it world record or American record? American mm-hmm. record. Does that record yeah. still stand? It does. It does? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing, yeah. man. Are you able to bifurcate your role as manager from from sort of talking to her about <clears throat> Actual coaching type stuff. Yeah, I I do my I, I, I do my best to stay yeah. in my lane, you know. And I let the coaches coach, and I do I agent, you right. know. So it's uh, but certainly I do have strong opinions on on it all, you know. And mm-hmm. like someone like Des, I mean, we talk a lot, and you know, it's she's not asking me for training advice, but it's like yeah, we have discussions all the time, or like maybe this product or do this or this is what worked for me. We were. I was competing when I started representing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we both competed at the 2012 marathon trials. Right. So it's, yeah, this is this thing. We were we had mutual sponsors and this thing, and we I knew what worked for me, and I knew what my training partners were doing, and very fast people in their own right, and Ryan Halls and Meb, and we have this group. It's, you learn anecdotally by, hey, this is what has worked here, and this is what, you should maybe try. And Des is uh, Des is a student, you know. Mm-hmm. So she's always open to. I don't know how many different mixes you've had in your bottles over the years, but it's <laughs> handful. Yeah, it's it's. But she knows yeah. what works, you know, and she goes with it. But yeah, no, I I try and let the coaches coach. Well, it's are. I think it's good to have his perspective too. Like when we're filling in schedules, like what right. races make sense, and you know, there's some people who say. Well, it's a gajillion dollars you're doing it and, right. you know, do all of these races and you, you could sign up for something every weekend. But Josh knows that when I'm picking, it's these ones work and this is why. And like, you know, it's we're actually what we're really getting ready for is here. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to compromise that because of all these other things. And mm-hmm. so it's good to have someone who's competed and knows that balance of like appearances, racing and then the big day and how to schedule right. it all in. And I like this idea of, of being in partnership with your coach, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have to take responsibility for yourself. And as somebody who's competing at such a high level for so long, like you have to really own what works for you and be in a relationship with a coach where that's that's functional. Right. Yeah, yeah it can't be one-sided. It's uh, you telling me what to do. Um, at this point, I've done so many segments. It's like, I know that doesn't work. Right. You know, and they trust me enough to make those changes and say, okay, like, do what you think is best. But you moved to Michigan to be part of this team, right? The Hansons Brooks yes. team. Yeah. And so when you're training, are like how much of it is you going out and just running by yourself versus doing it with teammates? Yeah, it's kind of evolved over the years. Um, it was like live in the house with the group and every day, 8 a.m., you know, we all do the same run and work out together and so on and so forth. Um, we've had a lot of people move on to different careers. I'm obviously like mm-hmm. one of the oldest one of the oldest on the team. Um, and we have a younger squad that's on the track and, you know, their long runs 10 miles and I'm doing 20. And so it doesn't quite match up as well um, now, but I still have teammates. And then we've also kind of have uh, like satellite athletes who live here, here, here. Right. Uh, we're all in the same group, but that gives me a little more freedom to say, okay, I want to spend some time um, in the Northern part of the state and just like hole up and run and not, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. deal with the other stuff. And so it's a little more flexibility and I can do a lot on my own now too. Where do you go in the Northern part of the state? Uh, we spend a lot of time in Charlevoix, uh-huh. Charlevoix and Traverse City. So yeah. we have a, a nice house on Lake Michigan. Um, 
yeah, it's it's quiet up there. You can get on the dirt roads and not see a car for yeah, a yeah. twenty mile run. <laughs> I uh, I'm originally from Michigan. Okay. And uh, all my extended family's from Michigan, and we used to spend all our summers on like Michigan. My parents had a house uh, near Sleeping Bear Dune. Beautiful. Near yep. near Traverse, yep. and like it's amazing training yeah. up there. It's a hidden gem. So I hope not too many people see this and then. <laughs> Run over the town with training camps. Yeah, well, no, you I'm tell people kidding. in California that it's awesome. They just They're laugh like, at what? you. Right? How much you got? Have you, Josh, have you ever been up there? I have one time. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty yeah. beautiful up yeah, there. That's yeah. nice. Um, that's cool. So, what about what about Ryan, your husband? Do you ever train with him? I do actually. Um, we matched up really well when he was just doing marathons, and so in Chicago, 2010. He had a really great segment and was ready to run 224. I had a rocky segment and was like, I think I can run 227, 226. So we had totally different race plans. Uh, and I see him at like mile 22. He's going the wrong way. I'm running up on him. And I outkicked him. Um, right. You beat him by like one second. Two right? seconds. Two seconds? Yeah. <laughs> How He's often like, do you remind I him of that? I hate you. <laughs> like, but you love me. <laughs> uh, so you got, so you'll go out and train with him a little bit? Yeah. Too? He's moved into mm-hmm. the Ironman world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's his thing. And, but he can still run with me. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and on your big weeks, like, what's the mileage look like? I'll get up to around 130. Yeah. Real big wow. week. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot. It's a lot of time. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Have you ever, so you had the injury in London, right? Mm-hmm. But other than that, have you been able to avoid big injuries? That's the biggest. And I've had like little niggles here and there, mm-hmm. um, stuff that I'll catch early. And it's like, oh, take a couple of weeks off and you're good to go. So I've been very lucky. Right. Yeah. What, uh, what scares you? <laughs> What's out there that like freaks you out? Like physically or like... Like the fear of not knowing what's next? Uh, I guess anything. I mean, on the one level, like, is there an event that you're really intimidated by that you're scared to do? And then also just life stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm always intrigued by the Ironman. Like, like switching over, you know? Uh Um, But I'm a sinker. I go out for the swim and just be like, yeah, but you just get, get a thick wetsuit. That's You're right, fine, the buoyant. You know? They make it easy. Yeah, I, I like you watch the they put together the video at the end. It's all inspirational. Like at the awards, and you're like, this is beautiful. These people are so tough, and uh-huh. like I want to do that. And then I see my husband's like training schedule, and I'm like, that's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way. Well, they they I mean the NBC coverage is so beautifully it's put dramatic. together that it's, it it yeah. looks like yeah. just a big romance. Yeah, <laughs> the future. Right, yeah, right. It is. No. Um, the reality of it, I think, is a little bit different. Well, that's interesting. Maybe a little post-career Ironman experience. Possibly, yeah. Yeah. Be fun. yeah. You get to wear compression socks. That's right. That's why. <laughs> yeah. It's more for the fashion. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, for There's a lot of like you know amateur athletes that listen to this show, so mm-hmm. I thought it would be interesting to share like some insights. As somebody who's been around the sport for so <clears throat> long, I'm sure you see – because – what you do is it's very rare in the sense that you're participating in the same event with all the amateurs, mm-hmm. right? As a professional, mm-hmm. like that only exists in a few sports like right. triathlon and, and, and running. What are the things that you see if you do, like that you see amateur athletes doing where you're like, what are they doing? <laughs> Don't they know? Like if they just did this, it would be so much easier and better. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to the hacks. Like everyone wants the quickest way to the PR and they want the, fastest shoes or the lightest this. Um, I'm not going to pick on the triathletes, but like the gear. Or you can pick on them. 
Okay, I'm going to pick on the chat. Yeah. No. The gear is, like, huge. It's like, let me shave something here. Let me lose a couple pounds there. And, um, like, just train. Like, it's so simple, especially like, back to running. It's just it's right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, repeat. We all do it. Um, put in the time. Do the work. And you're going to see the improvements. Don't try to do the shortcut. Mm-hmm. Just expect for it to take some time. <laughs> yeah, do the work, man. Most people, they, they want to talk about the the shoes and the watch and the heart rate monitor and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, just go out and do it, right? There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. When you're at a race, like, is there, are there specific things that you see people doing? Like, why are they going out and running really hard the day before the mm-hmm. race? And, you know, things yeah. like that. See a lot of that for yeah. sure. Um, I don't know, maybe expo stuff, like looking for something new at the expo to help them on race day. And you're like, mm-hmm. no, don't, nothing new, nothing new today. Use that for the next one. Um, yeah, I think that's, I don't know, most people have it pretty dialed, but. A Boston, I mean, you get to a Boston and those people are pros, you know, they're like yeah, the they're best vetted. of the, yeah, same thing with like a, a Kona, like they're, they're pretty good. They know what they're doing for the most part. Do you have like a, um, any kind of rituals around your mental preparation? Do you do visualization or do you, when you're running, are you, you know, sort of rehearsing what it's going to be like? Yeah, I think I it's not like a scheduled or planned thing, but I think I just naturally do that. Like we all get out in the middle of a run and you're picturing breaking the tape. Um, but not like a, a routine every week where I go into it and like I have to do this or that. But mm-hmm. uh, And then pre-race, it's the same thing. I, um, I'll write a race plan, like an actual physical race plan, uh, pen and paper and write out how I see the day going and the things, um, you know, it's based on what I can do, not you know, what people around me are doing. It's like mm-hmm. control the controllables and I write it out on a piece of paper and then I have this thing to look at afterwards and say, oh, I, I didn't do that or I did do this. And um, also when you're on the course, it's uh, instead of evaluating how you're feeling, you just go, what's next on the plan? Mm-hmm. Like, what am I supposed to do next? So it takes away that bargaining moment where you're like, well, I feel bad, I should slow down. It's just, uh, you know, bargain because you have the next thing on your plan to do. Yeah, I think I read that that, 
when you the first time you did Boston when you when you lost by two seconds you mm-hmm. said like that was the first time that you had lost it because you had rehearsed it yeah. so frequently in your mind yeah. winning it that you were like wait no this is <laughs> I'm supposed <laughs> yeah, to win know, right? <laughs> um, yeah heartbreaking <laughs> but I think that that you know what I take away from that what you just said is this idea that that uh, it goes back to how you how you're feeling versus how you're actually doing, right? right? Somebody who's not as mentally tough or as mentally well rehearsed, when they don't feel well or they're like, I'm off my game, that can just crack them, right? right? And then the race is over. But to understand like, okay, I don't feel good now, but you know, there's a long way to go and many things can change to be able to stay present mm-hmm. you know, and focused on, on the bigger goal. Um, I mean, I think what, what you experienced in Boston is a perfect testament to that. Yeah, I, there's... It's such a long race. There's so many ups and downs that you're going to feel a million million different ways. And if you let the first bump in the road derail you, I mean, you have a long run home Mm because you'll pull out of it and you'll be in a slump again. And it's just how those races go. Yeah. What, uh, what, what do you think is driving you? Like what's, where does the motivation come? Like what's, what's the internal engine that's propelling you through this adventure? I've always been motivated to find out how good I can be, you know, and I want to know how fast I can run and how well I can compete. And that's why I go to the biggest races Um, instead of trying to win the smaller race. Like those big races push you because there's the best people there. Um, And if you want to find out how good you can be, you have to line up with people who can pull you to that spot. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and that's, making the decisions to show up every day is I don't want to look at the zero in the logbook and go, well, now there's a question. Like I didn't do all the work. So what if you had, how good could you be? Um, and so it's, it's just finding out what I've got and how far I can take myself in the sport. So it's really internal, Absolutely. right? It's, it's you measuring yourself against yourself. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you maintain that when there's, you know, like when you're in a race and you're a gamer, um, <laughs> How do you stay within yourself when there's all the jockeying with the other athletes? Like, do you let go of that and you're just racing or are you still like, okay, I have my plan. I got to stick to my plan. Yeah, I think it's balancing the two and knowing when it's appropriate to race, what moves are appropriate to respond to, um, what's totally out of your wheelhouse. Um, And that's all, you know, the Josh always says the first 20 with your head, the last six miles with your heart. Mm -hmm. And you know, that first 20 miles, you have to make race decisions based on your ability and everything you've seen um, in the, the preparation and know when to respond and when not. In the, the last 10K, you just go from the heart, go, you know, right. respond to whatever you can respond to, dig as deep as you can dig. Um, yeah, and that's just, I feel like, a lifetime of practice racing. Right. Josh, if I had to ask you, which I'm going to ask you. Uh, <laughs> Hypothetically. What, what, makes, what makes Des great? Like, what is it about Des that, that maybe people don't, don't really understand? I think, well, one, it's who she is outside of running. Um, she, does ha- she has been on this quest to find out how good she can be. And the race isn't the verdict on her. I think she has very good balance for someone at her level a lot of a lot of athletes at 
at her level and when I was competing, they take their question, you know, do I have what it takes to their job, to their performance? Every single bad workout, they're crushed. You can't talk to them. It's, man, I hope the next workout goes well so I can talk to this guy. And, or I hope the race goes well so we can still go out and have a good meal after. And is she disappointed after London and from all stress fracture and the whole, yes, sure. It's like, you want them to care, but she does have this balance and she never lets herself sulk too long. You know, I think the last year was probably the toughest that I've ever experienced with any athlete. Um, just the stuff she was going through and the ups and downs, but on race day, outside of that, between the curbs, she is so tough. She, she talked about the last 10K, running it with your heart. She knows how to put herself into the pain cave and be tougher than she's ever been physically. She'd be stronger than mm -hmm. she's ever been mentally. And she's gonna give herself every chance to succeed. She does a fantastic job of race day execution. That's the thing. A lot of athletes, they do the same buildup, amateurs all the way up to the pros. You look at it and then they totally do not execute on race day. And that's the thing. You look at it and, you know, I do a lot of announcing for NBC and mm -hmm. whatever. And we go to these races and you hear these pre-race comments and the guys are like, well, I just plan on going through the half and 6230 and I'll slow up on the back half, but I'm pretty sure that I can still PR. And it's like the data doesn't show that. Like you want to run even. There's no such <laughs> yeah. thing as banking time in the marathon. Yeah, yeah. If, if you want to run three hours, being five minutes ahead of pace at halfway is not awesome. Like that's, that's bad. Mm -hmm. You want to. You want to run even. The fastest times in history are even or negative splits. Second half faster. Des does not mess up the race day execution. And typically, yeah. you know, it's like we talk yeah. about the missing bottles. And they, I mean, that's the thing. It was like, that was the surprising part. The Shalane right. part. I was like, ah, oh, well, that's cute or whatever. But the missing bottles, I'm like, yeah, well... Those all right. Matter. I don't know. There was nothing about that race that I think was about a race execution plan, yeah. right? No. From that's, the minute you start, right. no, no warm up, no. Right. Like, you know, no. Like, I mean, yeah. it, it, it was a total anomaly. I mean, right. it's just, it, you're just, this is not Des, but she executes on race day really well. And obviously it worked out, you know, in yeah. Boston. Is there anything like with this white hot spotlight on you right now and you having to run around and do all kinds of interviews and stuff like that? Is there any part of you does that you feel like is is being missed or misinterpreted or or the people like people are are not understanding about this whole thing or you in general no i mean i, I think i'm have always been very open and honest and genuine and so I, I feel like it's always been received correctly um i don't know josh what do you think? <laughs> well, okay, this is the part of the podcast. I was yeah, no, um, <laughs> this is your moment. Go. <laughs> no, I, the cool thing about Des is she is super comfortable in her own skin, mm -hmm. and she's not the one that gets all makeup and stuff when she goes to run or to an appearance or whatever. I mean, we go to billboards and I'm like, yeah, you have 45 minutes scheduled for hair and makeup, and she's like, what are they going to do for 45 minutes? <laughs> like, you know, and, and and she looked beautiful and it was amazing, and but everyone was like. Oh my gosh, she looks amazing, you know, but it's, it's cause this is her, this, she's totally comfortable in her own skin and she speaks her mind and she always has, and it's what makes her endearing. And it's why people, what you see is what you get. There's uh Des doesn't pull any punches and mm -hmm. she's not putting out the facade and this it's, Oh, this is who I need to be on social or whatever. Right. And this highlight reel of my life. And it's, this is, this is what's going on. It's her pin tweet. It's, this is me being honest and this is who I am. And so there is, 
with a lot of people is like, well, there's a lot you don't know, but I can't talk about it here, right? you know. But with her, there's it's um, she is super comfortable in her own skin, and that's what makes her so cool, and that's why everybody loves her. Yeah. I just wanted to pat in the back. Thanks. Yeah, Josh. yeah I know. Like, yeah, this is like a big love affair happening here. <laughs> so you guys were in San Diego yesterday, yeah, right? Yeah. And you did this uh, run, rock and roll race, and I saw the tweets. There was like an active shooter. So what was going? What happened? It was pretty unclear. Like right. it was, here's this thing going on by the marathon. Um, and then as people get more information, it's like, it wasn't at the marathon. It wasn't towards the marathon. It was near the marathon, but just in case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't even, it was like. They shut down the course. They, we, we went to get brunch. It's a really great place. And we had these massive <laughs> omelets and it was super. And we're walking back and we get back to the West End and we see all of these ambulances. Like it was like yeah. six of them lined up and I'm going, What's going on? We're not near the race course. And I asked Tara Welling, pro that was there that had raced. I said, what's going on? She's like, well, there's an active shooter situation. I'm like, what? I'm like, you, I, I, said, I said, what are you doing? So I'm waiting for my mom. I said, you need to wait inside. Yeah. Like have her text you. Like I was, I was surprised they didn't have staff saying everyone inside. I mean, it was, we didn't know what was going on. So immediately we we're going to go take a nap, but we went up to the bar. We're like, can you turn on the local news? And we're trying to find it on Twitter and we're looking, I'm like, I'm just going to say everyone should go inside. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. And we yeah. put a link, the NBC San Diego link was, this is going to be updated, but apparently someone, there was an incident and then they shut down the race course. And cause I mean, it's, it's yeah, you don't know. Just, you don't know. It's I easier. mean, it turned out that it was an altercation that had nothing to do with right. the race. Right. right? But yeah. like, how, you know, the chaos that can ensue in the midst of that. And, yeah. and, you know, being, being like Boston, were you guys in Boston? Was that yeah. one of the years that you raced? I didn't Did you, race that year. Yeah. I, um, were you there, Josh? Yeah, I was doing you coverage there, for, yeah. for them, yeah. Right. And so the kind of, um, you know, residual experience of having yeah. been yeah. been there when that happened, I would, when, when something like that occurs, you're like, that's yeah. the thing is you it's, got a DEFCON 5. everyone's trying to get the news, but no one has the news and mm. you don't know what to believe or what to like put out there. If, if it's going to create more fear, it's just like, let's pause and like figure out what's really going on. Right. Um, but also you don't want people being set up to be in a really yeah, horrible position. So if you can get someone out of harm's way, right. then you do it, but there is this social media 24 hour news cycle. People yeah. want to be first rather than right. right. Mm-hmm. And so there is this balance of like, is this legit? Is right. what and like, okay, this is confirmed and okay, we should send something out. But it's, uh, yeah, you just pray to God that nothing like that ever happens again at a race. Right. What in, in Boston this year, I mean, what is it like around the finish line? Do they have added security and all that kind of thing or? Yeah, I mean, I we noticed it the year after was yeah. totally different world, and I think they have it down so well. Um, Dave McGill- McGilvery and his team and the BAA, mm-hmm. um, they're pros. They've been doing this for so long, and I think the response on that day was great. You know, it was yeah. just a horrible thing, but they handled it very well, and then they got even better. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's different, but I don't ever feel uncomfortable out there. Yeah, it's such a crazy thing, right? Um, and you're so exposed because the co- the course right. is 26 miles long. I mean, it's right. like if somebody's motivated, you know yeah, what I mean? Sure. There's not, there's really nothing you could do. There's but, no way to yeah. police 26 right. miles of course, lot. particularly on a point to point the way that in Boston yeah. is, you know. Right. And you just they do as much as they possibly can for sure. 
So Des, are you training at all right now or are you just taking a break? <laughs> um, when I can. I've been traveling around quite a bit and um, it's just trying to get something in every day. And then um, if it can be quality, that's great. But I'll start really diving back into things probably a couple weeks here. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Got a few more baseballs you want to throw out. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got? Do you have some cool stuff on the schedule coming up? Yeah. I mean, we're going to New York this week uh, for, for the mini 10K and mm-hmm. global running days on Wednesday, uh, not to date the podcast, but uh, <laughs> she is going to be doing some stuff there at the New York Stock Exchange and some different things and uh, appearances and whatnot. And then going to the BAA 10K uh, oh, cool. at, at the end of the yeah. month. So she gets she gets what, one weekend off. That's right. <laughs> yeah, 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 weekend right. to train. Yeah, exactly. She she did run two hours yesterday. The pace group. So yes. that was <laughs> yeah, right. But a lot of selfies yeah. and insta uh, insta. Uh, insta I'm actually a little. No, you were I'm like taking sore. pictures yeah. when you were going yeah, and putting them on Twitter. I saw that. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, one of the things that I always uh, kind of talk about on the podcast as a as a father of two daughters, you know, people say, "Oh, there's no great." female role models out there. And I think there are lots of them. There's amazing women doing amazing mm-hmm. things. It's just that we don't do a very good job of, of really celebrating them to the extent that, that we should. And we're, you know, focused on the Kardashians or what have <laughs> you. So now as this, you know, newly anointed um, female role model, like, do you, how do you think about, how do you think about um, what you do and who you are and the impact that you can have on, on young girls? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely really cool to know that we have the spotlight on our sport. And I don't think I'm alone in it at all. I do think that the American women distance runners right now, um, there's a ton of faces that are doing great things and are really inspiring. And that's the whole thing is if you can make this somewhat selfish sport uh, connect and matter and um, get somebody to buy a pair of shoes, get a girl to decide to learn take up running and it's a lifetime activity. Um, you can change a life, which is really mm-hmm. cool. Um, I don't see myself changing how I do things. It's just me being me. And I hope that there are really great parts that people will, you know, want to emulate or, um, you know, be inspired by. And, but I don't, not actively trying to say, hey, I want to change this or change right. that. I'm no, just I got gonna, you. You're being you. I guess it's yeah. a lead by you don't example need to be any, type You thing. don't need to be anything more than who you are. Yeah. You know, just so. you being you and what you do is is really inspiring and it's powerful. And and um, I think it was really cool how the media really did, you know, latch onto your story and, and mm-hmm. it was so broadly told in, in such a beautiful way. And I think it's just, it's it's really cool for... For our culture right now, you know, it's it's we're in crazy times right now, and we need more stories <laughs> yeah. like you. So it was yeah. it was so great that it, that it unfolded in that beautiful way, and I think that the legacy of that, you know, will continue to be told for a long time. And I think you're in a position to really influence a lot of young girls in a really positive way, and I think that's super exciting. Yeah, that's it's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, so if there is a young girl listening to this who's like. She seems cool. <laughs> what do you want to say to that person? Um, I would say figure out what you're about. Figure out what you want. Get comfortable with yourself, you know? Um, and it, it might not be running. Whatever it is that you like to do, uh, do it with all your heart and dream big and give yourself a chance. You know, show up and do whatever it takes. And... Um, yeah, just love what you do. Like, 
I think that's why I've gotten this far in running. It's just loving what I do. And it makes, you know, it's like kind of a cliche, but if you love your job, you're, you're never going to work a day in your life right. type thing. But um, I, it's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think most people don't do a good enough job of asking themselves that that very question because mm-hmm. we're not we're not sort of culturally attuned to 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 follow our hearts in the way yeah. that I think that that we should be and I think if everybody loved what they did or had the courage to you know pull on that thread and, mm-hmm. and follow it I think the world would be a better place so I think that's yeah. beautiful and I think that's a good way to wrap it up sounds great Yeah, so thank you so much. You are an inspiration. I really appreciate you coming to talk to me today. Um, If people want to find you online, what's the Mm -hmm. best place for them to do that? Um, I'm on Twitter at Des, D-E-S underscore Linden, L-I-N-D-E-N. And it's uh, Instagram as well. I put some fun pictures out. Yeah, cool. (laughs) And Josh, what about you? And Josh Cox, yeah, but just follow Des. Yeah, that's that's what I'm all about. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be yeah, on there the at manager. some point. You're atoning for that hug. It is, it is, yeah, <laughs> so. No, it's cool. Um, I really appreciate your guys' time today. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Cool. Right. Thanks, Thanks for yeah. Appreciate it, man. What an incredible story. Thank you, Des. Thank you, Josh, for taking the time to share with us today. Do me a favor. Let both Des and Josh know what you thought of today's conversation. You can find Des online at Des underscore Linden on both Twitter and Instagram. And Josh is at Josh Cox on both of those platforms as well. Uh, Make a point of checking out the show notes to this episode on the episode page at ritual.com. We put a lot of work into them. It's basically a syllabus to extend your learning, your edification, your infotainment of this conversation beyond the conversation, beyond the earbuds. And uh, we put a lot of work into them and they're awesome. I will be doing a live event in Dublin coming up soon, June 30th with the Happy Pair Guys. It's going to be at Smock Alley Theater in downtown Dublin. Uh, it's going to be a great evening. There is a link to tickets in the show notes and also on the appearances page on my website. If you are in Dublin or nearby, I would love to meet you and see you. So check it out. If you're looking to dial up your nutritional regimen, if you're looking for a little more direction on how to cook healthy and delicious, check out our meal planner, meals.ritual.com. We have thousands of plant-based recipes available to you. Everything is super customized based on your personal preferences, your budget, how many people are you cooking for? What are you allergic to? What foods do you like? We have unlimited grocery lists. We have grocery delivery in about 200 US cities right now with more rolling out as well as international delivery in certain cities coming soon as well. All of this is available to you for $1.90 a week when you sign up for a year. For more information and to sign up, go to meals.ritual.com or click on Meal Planner on the top menu on my website. If you would like to support my work, share the show with your friends and on social media, grab their phones, subscribe them to the program, uh, hit that subscribe button yourself on Apple Podcasts or on Google Podcasts. They just released their new Android app. I heard it's pretty good. Uh, So if you're an Android user, make sure to subscribe on that platform. Uh, All of this really helps with the visibility of the show and ultimately helps me bring the best guests to you for the future. You can also support the show on Patreon at ritual.com forward slash donate. I want to thank everybody who helped put on the show today. Jason Camiello for audio engineering, production, show notes, interstitial music, lots of behind the scenes stuff. Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin for video editing and graphics and theme music as always by Analemma. 
Thanks for the love, you guys. Thank you for listening. I never take you guys for granted. I'll see you back here in a couple few. Until then, just show up and keep showing up. Yeah.